Later this week, we have a big holiday coming up that you might have heard about. It's called Christmas. It's coming this Friday, December the 25th. You don't want to miss it. Make sure you mark your calendars. Christmas coming this week. There is another holiday coming this week that you might not have heard about or you might have forgotten about. And it's not Christmas Eve. Tomorrow, on December the 21st, we will be experiencing one of the oldest holidays in human history. It's not an American holiday. It's not even a Christian holiday. It'll be celebrated tomorrow, December 21st, on every single continent in the world. It's been celebrated all the way back to the earliest records of human civilization for thousands of years. It's called the winter solstice. The winter solstice happens every year on December the 21st, and it's the shortest day of the year. You might have noticed the days have been getting shorter. Well, on December the 21st, the earth is tilted the farthest away from the sun that it will ever get. And from that day on, it will start tilting back and the days will start getting lighter. So that's the shortest day of the year. And it'll keep tilting back until June when we hit what's called the summer solstice, which is the longest day of the year. And that's the way the earth's tilt changes the hours of daylight. Now, these aren't holidays, the summer and the winter solstice. It's just basic astronomy from the way our planet is tilted. However, for as long as there have been human beings, there have been holidays. And every single human civilization in all of recorded history has had a special festival just to celebrate the winter solstice. Take a look at this image. You've probably seen it before. Some of you might have seen it in person. This is Stonehenge. Stonehenge was built around 3000 BC. That's 5,000 years ago, a millennium and a half before Moses was born. These 50 or so massive stones weighing up to 25 tons apiece were meticulously arranged, we're not even sure how, by prehistoric people who might have not even had the wheel and guess how they arranged them. It's kind of shaped like a horseshoe and the entrance to Stonehenge perfectly matches the sunrise every winter solstice. This is a picture on winter solstice, the sun rises between those two central stones. And that's how these ancient people 5,000 years ago set this up. It's still celebrated every year. Every year at Stonehenge, around 5,000 Wiccans, Druids, Neo-Pagans, and tourists gather to watch the sunrise on the winter solstice. And this is your lucky year due to COVID. You may not feel that way, but Stonehenge is closed. And so we're lucky they're live streaming it. This year, you can Google it. You could watch the, the winter solstice sunrise at Stonehenge online and join with our ancestors who for 5,000 years have been gathering at this pile of rocks just to celebrate that special day. Tomorrow in China, they're going to be celebrating a millennia, uh, millennia, thousands of years old uh, festival. It's called Dong Chi, and it's to celebrate the winter solstice. In India, Hindu worshipers will be celebrating this centuries-old festival. Uh, in Europe, there were Old Norse and Germanic tribes, and every winter solstice, they celebrated a feast called Yule. 
And you might recognize that name from Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, Make the Yuletide Gay. Yule. It's a, it was a winter solstice festival in Europe. The Native American tribes across our own country, all of them, individual tribes, celebrated the winter solstice. Persians in Central Asia celebrated this, and it's still celebrated by modern Iranians at this festival involving pomegranates, and they read certain uh, poetry. It's called Yalda Night. It might be even older than Stonehenge. They've been celebrating the winter solstice. We found stones set up by aboriginal tribes in Australia indicating that they celebrated the winter solstice as well. Of course, their summers and winters are flipped, so they were celebrating it down there in the summer. And as a last example, take a look at this. Some of you may have seen some of these as well. All throughout Central America, we have these uh, ziggurats, these pyramids built by the Mayans. This one was built in around 1000 BC, it's in Guatemala. And these temples consistently are aligned in such a way that the sunrises and sunsets on the solstices every year align with the temple uh, and they built them along these lines. Some of you may remember about eight years ago when the world was due to end. Fortunately, it didn't end. Do you remember that? December 21st, 2012, the world was supposed to end due to some fluke in the Mayan calendar. Do you know why it was December 21st? It was because that was the winter solstice. That day was so special to them. That's the day that their calendar actually ran out of days. Human beings, we have this innate wonder that God gave us when we look up at the sky. And in early cultures, the priests always doubled over as astronomers, tapping into that spirituality that God gave us, that wonder when we see the sky. And so the priests were the ones who were noticing these astronomical events and patterns, and so these started accumulating spiritual significance. Now think about it. What spiritual significance would these priestly astronomers find in the winter solstice? Why was this holiday so beloved across human cultures and civilizations? Well, it's obvious if you think about winter, right? It's cold, it's dark, and there's nothing to do. It's been getting colder and darker steadily for months. And then it's going to be cold and dark for months after that. People despair in winter. They get lonely, they get depressed. It's cold, it's dreary, it's colorless, and it's dark. And especially in ancient times, winter is when you're most likely to face starvation or financial ruin or disease. But just as the long haul of winter was starting to set in, all these astronomers across continents, across millennia, they all noticed the same thing. Starting on a single day, December the 21st, the light started to make a comeback. Where it had been growing colder and darker every single day for months, after this day, the shortest and darkest day of the year, the light started growing stronger again and reclaiming the sky. After the winter solstice, every single day was going to be a little bit brighter than the day before. Every day was going to be a little bit warmer than the day before. And so ancient communities would throw week-long festivals with music and bright decorations and feasts in defiance of the winter darkness to celebrate the day when the light started making its comeback in the sky. These ancient people had no clue that the earth happens to be tilted at 23.5 degrees on its axis and it swings out in this whole elliptical thing around the sun and then back again, that it's all math. There's no magic in the sky. But they could feel something. They could feel a symbolic significance. They, like us, could feel this kind of spiritual gravity 
around this date when the light started to reclaim a world filled with darkness. Every year when the light came back, when the light started driving out the darkness and spreading warmth into a frozen world, human beings worldwide knew they could sense that this was a thing worthy of celebration, of commemoration, and even of worship. The Bible does not tell us what day Jesus Christ was born. Now all the nativity narratives in the Gospels and Matthew and Luke are very specific as to the location. And they're specific as to the time period when it happened and as to what actually occurred in terms of the events and who was there and what they did. But they don't tell us the date. And even if they did, they used a different calendar than we do. So why do we celebrate Christmas every year commemorating the birth of Jesus on December the 25th? You might be guessing that it has something to do with the winter solstice. And if so, you would be right. Take a look at this picture. Jesus was born in the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, just like everyone else, had its own celebration of the winter solstice. This is a picture of what's left of the mighty temple of the god Saturn. It was built in 497 BC. That's 2,500 years ago. And we've still got eight good pillars standing today. It's a massive temple for a god so big and important, he got his own planet named after him and his own day of the week, Saturday and the most popular, by far, holiday in the entire Roman Empire. It was called Saturnalia. Saturnalia was the Roman winter solstice holiday. It started on December 17th, and it ran all the way until the biggest final day of the feast on December the 25th. And in the middle of it, they commemorated the winter solstice. They'd been celebrating this for centuries before Jesus was born in Rome. Saturnalia was a pagan festival. And so, like all pagan festivals, it included a lot of rituals. And a lot of these are really wicked rituals. And I don't want to get into it um, because it's horrible things that I don't want to talk about this close to Christmas. But just picture Sodom and Gomorrah type stuff. Okay, these are pagan rituals, things involving sexual depravity, uh, human sacrifice. Saturnalia was not the place that you wanted to be, but they loved it. They celebrated it every year and they thought that's what the gods wanted from them. They also had some other traditions on Saturnalia that were a lot less harmful, a lot more innocent, things like gift giving. They all gave each other presents. Things like hanging pine branches in their houses. Things like walking through the streets together and singing songs in different parts of the neighborhood. Now in around 300 AD, that's about 1700 years ago, after Rome had been celebrating Saturnalia for centuries, Emperor Constantine decided to convert the entire empire to Christianity. And to cut to the chase, to cut a long story short, the church, after it took over the empire, it didn't stamp out all of the pagan traditions that had dominated the culture for centuries, including their festivals and holidays. The church instead decided that it would be easier to start to co-opt, start to repurpose some of the existing festivals and celebrations for Christian purposes. So instead of resisting them, especially the most popular feast of the year, Saturnalia, they decided to reclaim it and make it into something Christian. So as the Roman Empire crumbled away in the 400s and all of its pagan cults and pagan traditions crumbled away with it, the Catholic Church stood as the flawed but final hope of Western civilization. And it preserved with it the new winter solstice holiday of a new civilization that we still celebrate today. It was called Christmas. 
Now, before we go on, and without getting too far off topic, I want to pause for just a minute, and I want to quickly talk to you about this idea of repurposing a pagan uh, ritual. I just want to pause and mention this while we're on this subject. Sometimes this kind of strategy, it works beautifully. Because a lot of non-Christian religious ideas are relatively harmless. And a lot of them have some kind of spiritual reality embedded deep in them that can eventually be revealed as a Christian principle and redeemed. Just like we can be redeemed. Cultural elements that were broken can be healed and redeemed through the power of God who can heal anything. Sometimes this doesn't work. Sometimes this is not the right path to take. And a lot of non-Christian beliefs are simply evil. They're simply irredeemable. And you can see this taught in the Old Testament. Whenever the Israelites came across a new community in their conquest of the Holy Land, sometimes God would order Israel to completely eradicate them, wipe out that village. There's nothing about their culture that can be saved. They're too given over to wickedness there for redemption. But sometimes God ordered Israel to do the opposite. He said, you have to take this land, but bring the refugees and the foreigners in with you, and you can assimilate them to your culture. You can take that conquered nation, and you can, there are things in them that are redeemable, and their souls can still sense the light from the true God. So today, I want to argue that the church's reclamation of winter solstice, the church's redemption of this feast of Saturnalia, which happened around 350 AD, they proclaimed this is now Christmas. That's one of the victories over pagan culture that we can and that we should keep. Jesus wasn't born, as far as we know, on December 25th. But we celebrate his birth, and we have been celebrating his birth on that day for centuries. And we don't need to change the date. We don't need to change the date but also, we shouldn't change the date because it's perfect. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll have the words up on the screen too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll start in verse 20, Paul is discussing the ability of people to figure things out on their own. And I love this passage. It's so applicable to our culture today. He writes, Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are nothing to bring to nothing the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
Go back and look at verse 27 of what we just read. Verse 27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Paul says, instead of leaving us to find him through our own broken wisdom, through our own pitiful strength, God in his grace takes our foolishness, takes our weakness, and uses it to reveal himself to us. In other words, God has a sense of humor. A perfect example of this is what Seth talked about a minute ago uh, just before we took communion this morning. Think about the way God chose, and he could have done this any way he wanted to, but the way God chose to free the weak Israelites from the strong Egyptians at Passover. First of all, he used the mighty words of Moses. And remember when God called Moses? He was cowering, saying, I can't speak, I can't speak, I don't have any words, send somebody else. And God used the mighty words of Moses to free them. God used puny things like frogs, gnats, flies, boils. That's what God decided to use to mock the Egyptian gods that for 400 years had seemed so strong. God used this rushed meal of unleavened bread on the way out the door to forge an eternal symbol that we still celebrate today. God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Think about Saul exterminating Christians, throwing Christians in jail, turning into Paul, the greatest missionary of all time. God has a sense of humor. Think about Peter denying Jesus on the night of his death, then becoming a mighty leader in the early church. I love verse 21 in the passage that we just read. It says, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. That's a verse near and dear to my heart, and any preacher should take that near uh, to heart. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. God has always used, God is still using, God will always use weak and foolish people to work his plan of salvation. Do you know what delights God? Do you know what God loves to do? What brings joy to his heart? He loves to take broken ugly, sinful people and transform them into beautiful things. Do you think he could do the same thing with a holiday? From the time God set the earth spinning through space with a tilted axis so that our days would intentionally get shorter and then shorter till the winter solstice when the daylight began to grow again and triumph over the darkness. From the moment that God first designed the human heart to be drawn to light and embedded the symbolism of light and darkness into our brains, God was already revealing himself to us through creation. From Stonehenge to Saturnalia, every single human culture ever has felt the tug of this spiritual gravity, felt the innate symbolic pull of a certain natural day when the tide starts to turn, the day when the light begins to pierce the darkness. And every single human culture casting about using its own wisdom, using its own strength to celebrate this day and find something to worship has gotten it wrong. But God loves to use the foolishness and weakness of people to unleash his own wisdom and strength. So, this week, as we near the winter solstice and Christmas, I'll give you two reasons that I think we should definitely keep celebrating Christmas on December the 25th. First, 
forget about all the, the pagan origins, forget about all the baggage and all the things we've been talking about in terms of where this holiday came from. Pretend for a moment that you have to start from scratch. It's your job right here and now to pick a date for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. You have nothing to go by. Just open a calendar and pick a day that we're gonna celebrate Jesus' birth. You have no clue when it was, just pick one. What day do you choose? The perfect day to choose. The day that I think it was made for is the winter solstice because it's the day that perfectly represents what happened at Christmas. Think about it. What do, what, what do we celebrate every year when we remember the birth of Jesus? The world had been getting darker. The world was getting colder. And the prince of this world, Satan, was strong. People had grown wicked. And then all at once, starting on one single day, light makes its comeback. The tide starts to turn and the light starts to break through. This tiny child is born in a barn and he will later grow up to proclaim, I am the light of the world. And in him there will be light and no darkness and that light will be the life of all mankind. This year has been dark and cold. It feels like it's been getting darker and colder but this week, we're all going to stop. The entire world will stop to remember what C.S. Lewis called the invasion. The time when God came and planted his flag on enemy soil. When God began to win back the hearts of a race in rebellion, starting on a single day, when the light started pushing back the dark one day at a time. What more perfect symbol could you ask for? What more perfect day could there be to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ? And the second reason that we should keep celebrating Jesus' birth at winter solstice is because this beautiful day, this beautifully symbolic day that God gifted us with, that he engineered into the fabric of our sky, has been abused for millennia as a pagan festival, celebrating all the wrong gods. And our God loves and delights to use the foolishness of this world to shame the wise to use the weak things of this world to shame those who think they are strong. God loves to take broken and ugly things and turn them into beautiful things. God loves to take evil, selfish, lost people like you and me and turn them into people overflowing with love and joy and hope. The whole point of Christmas is to take ugly things and make them into beautiful things. Weak things into strong things. Normal things into special things. Broken things into perfect things. Jesus' parents, they weren't rich. They weren't famous. They weren't even married when he was conceived. They were so poor and obscure, they ended up in a stable the night he was born. And today, the whole world celebrates what must have been such an embarrassing, uncomfortable, and scary night for them. Because God uses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Mary didn't even have a bed to put her baby in. She didn't have a crib. All she had was this disgusting, drooly feed trough that the animals would eat out of. Most of us wouldn't even let our little toddler crawl over and touch a manger. Such a germy, this gross little receptacle for animal slobber. But Mary didn't have a choice. And as soon as she laid Jesus in that manger, the eternal beauty of heaven transformed it into a pure and perfect throne fit for a newborn king because our God loves to make ugly things into beautiful things. When Jesus was born and the jealous King Herod 
killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem, just like the wicked Pharaoh had ordered all the Hebrew babies thrown into the Nile millennia before, one newborn son escaped that slaughter so that he could one day die as the Passover lamb for all of them and for all of us to secure a nation's rescue, shedding innocent blood to redeem this senseless slaughter and deliver an enslaved people to freedom. God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. As a final example, take a look at what's hanging on the wall behind me right now. If you're at home, I'll step out of the way just to make sure on the camera you can see what's hanging on the wall behind me right now. It's a cross. A tribute, front and center, when we gather here to be joyful and to worship God, we have this thing that we're all facing and looking at, a tribute to one of the most cruel instruments of torture, pain, and death that human beings have ever devised, a Roman cross. I'll wager that many of you here, many of you watching at home are wearing one of these around your neck right now. Maybe you're wearing crosses as a bracelet or as earrings, or maybe you have it as a tattoo. A lot of us at home have these torture and execution devices decorating the walls of our homes. We see it every day. Why? Because years after Christmas, God was going to watch his own son, when that baby from that manger grew up, be nailed to one of these crosses, humiliated, tortured, and murdered. And God was already planning to use that symbol to transform that ugly thing into a new thing of beauty, a symbol of strength and hope to restore a dying world, fulfilling a message that started on Christmas when God took a manger, a nation, a world, and finally a cross and turned all of these ugly things into beautiful things again because that's what he does. That's who he is. That's the story of Christmas. We see that story played out over and over, whether it's God unleashing beauty through a dirty manger and a cruel cross or God recapturing a millennia-old global pagan celebration to redeem it and transform it into a celebration for him and his son. God sending light into our world after months and months of darkness, after a year of growing darkness, giving us the sense to feel as the axis starts to tilt back again towards the light, and a cold and dark year starts growing a little bit brighter and a little bit warmer, just like it always does. This is God's plan for us. It's God's plan for you to take the brokenness in your own life and your own heart and bring the light of redemption, to take any pain or fear or despair that has left you growing darker and colder and to bring that light again and let it grow day by day into something beautiful. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story of Christmas. And it's our story too. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your beautiful rescue of us in this dark and cold world. In this year that particularly feels so dark and so cold, we thank you for stepping in to unleash light. We thank you for building a world, setting the light in our skies, setting the light in our hearts so that it can grow into something bright and warm and beautiful again. We thank you for Christmas, for what it means for all of us. We thank you for family and celebration and beauty and joy, no matter how dark or dreary things might get or seem. 
We thank you for again and again using the foolish and weak things of this world to shame the wise and the strong. Guide us through this time. We trust you and we love you. We celebrate you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.